It's the book of Titus. We start a new series tonight in the book of Titus. Titus is right after 1st and 2nd Timothy. Now, obviously in canonical order or in biblical order, Titus comes after 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy. But in chronological order, it's 1st Timothy, then Titus, and then 2nd Timothy. The book that we just studied, 2nd Timothy, is the last letter that Paul ever wrote before he was executed and, and, and killed. So, 2 Timothy is his last letter, but obviously in the, again, in the order of the Bible, the canon of Scripture, they kept First and 2 Timothy together, and then Titus came after. So, we are talking here about this book Titus now, and there's a, some similarities between uh, Timothy, the two letters to Timothy and Titus, and we'll talk about that. But I wanted to start to, tonight with sort of the the overview, if you will, of what is the book, really, these three chapters, what is this letter all about? And then backing up a little bit more by way of introduction, talking about a couple introductory things before we actually get into the text tonight. And we will get through a few verses tonight uh, of, of Titus. But it is such a great book for, I think, even where we are as a church right now. Uh, because the, the, the theme... You can find it really over in chapter 2 at the end of verse 10, where after the first 10 verses, uh, basically Paul has talked about every last segment of the church, whether they were young or old or whatever, however they fed in, whether they were slaves or free or whatever they were. At the end of this section, these 10 verses, Paul says this, he says, I want you to live in such a way that you will bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything. The key word there is the word credit. It means to live in a way that is appealing, that is attractive, or even we could say compelling. In other words, he's saying to to this community of believers, I want you to become a compelling Christian community. One that, that is attractive to others. One that is appealing to others, you see. One that will draw people into your fellowship. Now, another translation of the Bible says it this way, and I I sort of like this too. It says that we may learn to adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, adorning means wear our faith in such a way, wear our Christianity in such a way that it's attractive, that it's appealing. Let's take that sort of clothing thing. Uh, you and I all know that, you know, we meet people maybe or see people on television or whatever uh, during a day or a week or a month or a year. And, and we probably look at them and, 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 and in our minds go, what in the world were they thinking when they put that on this morning and, and wore that outfit? That, that looks terrible, right? And then there's other people that we see. It's like, oh, they're they're pretty sharp. You know, they it, n- nice looking you know, everything matches, uh, it fits, you know, that type of thing. Well, that's what Paul is saying here in chapter 2, verse 10. He's saying, I want this Christian community and these Christian communities on the island of Crete, we'll talk more about that too in just a moment, I want all of these Christian communities to become compelling Christian communities that are attractive and appealing. That as they wear their faith, as they adorn the doctrine of God 
in their lives. They, they will draw people rather than repel people by the way they obviously worship God and the way they worship or the way they treat each other in the fellowship. And didn't Jesus even say the same thing when he says, by your love for one another, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples, by the kind of love that you have for one another, John 13, 35. Now, just the opposite of this principle, Paul shares in chapter 2, verse 5 at the end. When in, in, in the specific context here, he's talking to younger women, but he says basically the same principle at the end of verse 5 when he says, I want you to live in such a way so that the message of God may not be discredited. And the word in the original discredited means to detract, to diminish, or to devalue something. In other words, he's saying again to all these groups, and especially to this Christian community, do not live in such a way that you are a detraction, that you, by the way you and I live, would diminish the message of God, the doctrine of God, the teaching of God, the Word of God, devalue it in other people's lives. In other words, the way we live should actually, again, cause people to pause and go, hmm, I think I want what they've got. I want to be a part of what they have. So this is what the whole letter is based on. It's based on this principle about becoming a compelling Christian community, living in such a way corporately, but also obviously individually as we go out there in the world, that when people observe our lives and watch our behavior and see how we handle life and how we navigate life and how we walk through life, that there's something attractive and appealing about our lives and our faith. Because isn't that the way we're supposed to be as Christians, that that we are to live in such a way that even Peter says that people might even approach us and ask us about the hope that we have within us because they see that there's something different about us that's a positive thing, not a negative thing. So often as Christians and as churches, you know, the, 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 the way people look at us is negative. They have negative opinions about the church and negative opinions about us as Christians. And Paul is saying, I want you all to live in such a way together as one another and as individuals that it's just the opposite. Instead of turning people off, you actually cause them to, to sort of develop an appetite for maybe what you have. Okay? So that's where the letter sort of starts. That's the foundation of it. But I also want to talk for a moment about this whole Paul and Titus thing, just like Paul and Timothy thing. What we're seeing here is who Paul was. You'll notice up in chapter 1, verse 4, after he addresses that this is from Paul, then in verse 4 he says, this is to, this letter is to Titus, my genuine son, in a common faith. And once again, then we are reminded of something. We are reminded that Paul spent his life pouring himself into others in a, in a discipleship way. He invested himself in individuals. And, and that was true of Timothy, and that was true of Titus. He was a mentor. He was a discipler. He was one that would use his knowledge and his understanding and his experiences and stuff to help, to support, to encourage, to challenge 
to exhort fellow believers. And that's how he spent his life. And this wasn't something that, again, was some kind of program in a church. This was just who Paul was. He didn't need a program. He just went out and did what the Lord called him to do. And I'm hoping that more Christians will get to that place where they don't have to be programmed to do things. They just see what the Bible says we should be doing and and just go do it. I mean, that's what it is. That's where we should be. But I do want us to see again the importance of relationships. The importance of relationships. And as I've shared this before, I I want to share it again at the outset of our study of Titus. I believe that in order to have a balanced Christian life, every one of us needs a Paul in our life. Somebody in our life always that is pouring into us, that is investing in us, that is our spiritual mentor. Someone that we could go to and seek counsel from and seek advice from. Someone who's maybe been walking with the Lord longer than we have and has more experience than we do. We all need a Paul in our life. But we also need a Barnabas in our life. And I look at a Paul and Barnabas then as sort of spiritual equals. That they sort of are together and they mutually encourage each other. But it's not necessarily that when they get together that they're consciously or intentionally trying to disciple one another or be discipled in any way. They're just co-workers and co-labors. They're friends and they come together and they do life together. That's the Paul and Barnabas then. And then... Just like Paul has modeled for us, both in Titus and Timothy, we all need Timothys and Tituses in our life. We need people that we are investing in, that we are pouring our lives into, that we are sharing our Christian experience with, that we are sharing our knowledge and understanding of the Word with. That gives our life purpose every day. And again, it doesn't have to be programmed. It doesn't have to be something that, you know, you check off. It's just... We go and we just do it. We see people that need uh, uh, someone to come alongside of them and, and to encourage them and support them in their walk with God. And we just do it. And that's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. So Paul's Barnabases and Timothys or Tituses, that really keeps our life balanced. We always have somebody pouring into us as we pour into others. And it's always good, too, to have people in our life like a Barnabas where we consider them sort of on the same plane as us, but we're all moving forward together. There's that mutual uh, encouragement, but also that mutual accountability. Now, one other thing, then, before we actually get to the, the text tonight to look at it that I wanted to share with you by way of introduction, and that's found in verse 5, when he says, The reason I left you in Crete was to set in order the remaining matters. Crete. Crete, as many of you know, is this island off of Greece. And it was not going to be an easy place to minister. In fact, we get a little bit of the culture of those on the Isle of Crete. And, and they, it was a hodgepodge. They, they were from, all the inhabitants of Crete were pretty much from all different parts of the world. But the one thing that they had in common was it was a very immoral group and, and a group that lacked character no matter where they came from when they landed on Crete. Because notice what it says in verse 12 of chapter 1. And this is quoting Paul, one of their own prophets from Crete. 
He says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then he says in verse 13, and that testimony is true. You've ever been on the island of Crete, Paul says. You know what those people are like. And Paul knew, and Titus knew. Why? Because they had already established churches on the Isle of Crete, and now he was appointing Titus to go back and basically to shore up some things that were lacking in these communities. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Now, here's the point I want to make. This was not an easy assignment. This was not an easy task. And so I thought about that for a while, and I thought, hmm, let's look at that from two different perspectives. Let's first of all look at that from Paul's perspective. If you and I had a difficult job, a difficult task that needed done, especially in the area of maybe something spiritual, something for the Lord, because that's the context we're talking about here tonight, and we couldn't do it, Who would we choose? Who would we trust? Who would we appoint to that difficult, challenging task? See, one of the things that we are seeing here is that we are seeing that Paul had confidence and trusted Titus to carry out this difficult task. And as leaders, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to see in others sometimes what they don't see in themselves. That's part of leadership. Sometimes, again, drawing out of others what they lack right now, the confidence to see in themselves. And then you've got to take it from the perspective of Titus. And maybe you've been there where someone in your life came to you and asked you to do something, but it was a pretty daunting task, and yet, in some ways, it was sort of exhilarating for you because it was like, they believe in me. They have confidence in me. They, they have more confidence in me than I have in myself. And yet, there's something encouraging about that, that others sometimes can see in us what we don't see in ourselves. And so, I want us to see that dynamic here tonight. Because part of the reason why Paul's writing this letter to Titus, like he did to Timothy, was... He wanted to encourage and support Titus that this was not going to be easy, but with the Lord, obviously, and with Paul also, you know, being behind him, Paul knew that he could do this. He could do this. And I think that's so important for us as Christians to get. We need, we need to learn to do that more. We need to learn to see and and help, ask God to help us see the potential in others that maybe they don't see in themselves so that we can maybe gently pressure them to, to go further than where they are right now. Think of it like, you know, a good coach in sports. Uh, to me, that's one of the, that's one of the, uh, attributes of a good coach is many times the players on that team or whatever, they don't maybe obviously haven't reached their full potential yet. But what the coach tries to do is he sees things in them by spending time with them that they don't see in themselves. And so he, he gently pressures them and pushes them trying to get them to achieve. And that's what Paul's doing here. 
And Titus, obviously, is allowing him to do it. Even though Titus might be reluctant to take this very daunting task on of going to this island and following up on these church plants and establishing these churches to be very solid, again, compelling communities of faith, he did follow through, and he did go to Crete, and he is doing it. That's why Paul's writing this letter in the midst of him on the island. So, those are the things that I wanted to share by way of introduction. Tonight, what I'd like to do, though, is to start out with Paul's purpose that he expressed to Titus in the first three verses of Titus chapter 1. Then, in verse 4, we will see Paul's pronouncement expressed to Titus. And then, in verse 5, Paul's priority that he expressed to Titus. Now, I don't know how far we're going to get tonight. Probably not too far. But let's dive into Paul's purpose expressed to Titus. Notice he says, From Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's chosen ones and the knowledge of the truth that is in keeping with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the ages began. But now in his own time, He has made his message evident through the preaching I was entrusted with according to the command of God, our Savior. Paul is reminding Titus here and us tonight that he knew what his purpose was in life. So often we forget, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? We lose sight of it. And Paul, I think, right at the outset is reminding Titus because he doesn't want Titus to forget. Titus, here's why you're on the island of Crete. Here is your purpose. And he starts, though, by not talking about Titus's purpose. He talks about his own example. And he says, this is, this is my purpose in life. This is who I am. And notice here that in the language that Paul uses, he is saying, I know what my purpose is. And I am, I am giving myself wholly, gladly, uh, permanently, committedly to my purpose. That all of us as Christians could live that way. That we know why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing and pour our all into it. That was, that was Paul. That's why he was so effective. People, some, you know, they think it was some magical formula. It's like Paul was special. No, he really wasn't. He's just like us. But when he got his calling from God, that was it. He just, again, he gave himself gladly, wholeheartedly to his purpose. Now notice he starts out, too, by in this purpose about, first of all, talking about his position before God, which is really where this whole thing starts. Notice he calls himself, first of all, and it's very unusual for Paul in his greeting, usually, or salutation in a letter, to start off this way, but here he does. He says, this is from Paul, a slave of God. A willing and devoted and permanent slave of God. Now, a couple things. First of all, 
There are two primary words in the Greek language for slave or servant that's translated in the New Testament. One is diakonos, which is simply a word that speaks about, and it's more usually translated servant. And it speaks about one that just carries out the the wishes of another. Usually, obviously, a superior. Okay? Get that. The word Paul uses here that's translated slave, and most of the time, that's the way this Greek word is translated, to differentiate diakonos from doulos, which is this word, D-O-U-L-O-S. It is the lowest, if you will, uh, word for someone who, at the disregard of their own interests and own well-being, they are simply at the disposal all the time of, of one. In other words, I'm it. I, I'm yours. You know. Um, and I want to say this, too. To the Hebrew, to the Jew, there were two types of slaves in the Old Testament. Uh, There were temporary and there were permanent. But the permanent ones were never permanent except by their own choice. In, In the Hebrew world, people were only servants, if you will, to someone else on a temporary basis. They were either set free during the Sabbath year, which would be every seven years, or the year of Jubilee every 49 years. They would be set free. But if a servant said, I love my master, and I want to willingly give my life in service for them, then there was provision for that. In fact, let me show you this. Go back to the book of Exodus to chapter 21. And I'll show you where this example comes from. Exodus chapter 21. Verse 2 of Exodus 21. If you buy a Hebrew servant, He is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he will go out free without paying anything. If he came in by himself, he'll go out by himself. If he had a wife when he came in, then his wife will go out with him. If his master gave him a wife and she bore sons or daughters, the wife and the children will belong to her master and he will go out by himself. But if the servant should declare, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master must bring him to the judges. He will bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master will pierce his ear with an awl and he will serve him forever. Same concept Paul's using here. I am a permanent, this isn't a temporary thing, Paul says, I am a permanent slave of God. I love him. What else could I and would I want to do with my life than give my life in service to my God for all that He has done for me? By the way, it's very interesting, too, that in this ceremony that's depicted here in Exodus, that you have even that whole thing about, notice where it takes place. Doorpost? What else took place at the doorpost? Passover? The blood? Well, guess what? If the master puts an all through a slave's ear, what's going to be on the doorpost? Blood. 
there's going to be a hole in his ear, but there's also going to be blood on the doorpost, just like in the Passover. Very interesting parallel there uh, that some maybe haven't seen before. So that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, we could also say, if you go back to Titus chapter 1, that another concept that, that is used for the term doulos was an under rower in those boats. You ever see the movie Ben-Hur? You know those under rowers down there in the lowest part of the boat? That's, that's, that's how they would describe They would be called the doulases. And Paul is saying, right off the bat, I am a slave of God. To Paul, that was a, that was a term of honor. That, that was as high as you could get. In other words, for Paul, that wasn't like, I'm a, I'm a slave of God. It was like, I'm a slave of God. I'm living my life doing the will of God. What greater life could I have on this earth? That's the way Paul looked at it. And again, think about how that's trying to encourage and inspire Titus. He's got a tough job. This is not going to be easy. He's on the Isle of Crete. These people lack character. It's an immoral place. It's not going to be easy. But it's not about things being easy and taking things that are easy in life. It's about being at the disposal of God. And if this is what God wants me to spend my life doing, I'll gladly, willingly, wholeheartedly, and permanently throw myself into it. That's what Paul did. That was his purpose. His purpose started by knowing his position before God. Another term that Paul uses here is he said, I'm also an apostle of Jesus Christ. Literally a sent one or a messenger that is sent by Jesus to speak to his people. You could also use the term representative. I think you could even use the term ambassador. As Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, technically, technically, we're not apostles, okay? As the New Testament uses it. There were certain requirements to be an apostle. One of those was that the person had to literally see the risen Christ after he rose from the dead. That was one of the requirements to be an official apostle. But I want to take the concept, I want to take the principle to apply it to our lives as well. Because again, our purpose starts with not only acknowledging that we should be a slave of God, but that we also have a mission. God wants to send us. God wants to say, you're my messenger, you have a message, go! Represent me. Be my ambassador. Out there, in your community, at work, at school, wherever you are. You're my sent one. Because in the Great Commission, Jesus didn't say, just go to... He just said, go, all of you, go and make disciples. Go into all the world. Everywhere you are going... Represent me in an attractive, appealing, compelling way. Be my ambassador. Think of that every time you and I wake up every day. If we go to the supermarket, we go to Walmart, we go to Target, we go to the bank, we go pump gas somewhere, whatever. 
that we should be conscious of the fact that we are a sent one of God. We are a messenger of God. We are going out into our world and into our community and we are to be a positive reflection and representative of Jesus Christ. That was Paul. He knew his position before God, which obviously was the foundation and fuel for his purpose. But he also knew his plan, if you will. He had a plan. He knew what his life was to be invested in. And it was these things. Notice what he tells Titus. I am here to further the faith of God's chosen, to further the knowledge of the truth in God's chosen, and to further the hope of eternal life in God's chosen. Those are the three things that is Paul's plan that makes up his purpose along with his position before God. He has a plan for God's people. And so again, every time he comes in contact with a fellow believer or a Christian, guess what he has in mind? I want to I be here to try to, first of all, further their faith. He wants to encourage God's people every time he can to express and exhibit their trust and confidence and belief and faith in God. That's what his life is about when he gets around Christians. And I like the word further here because it reminds us that all of us have certain thresholds, if you will, so far of our faith in our life. In other words, God, I'll trust you to this point, but I haven't trusted you beyond that point. So one of the things that Paul tries to do when he gets around other Christians is say, hey, go beyond where you've trusted him. You know, take that step of faith. Get out of the boat like Peter. You know, go further in your trust and confidence and belief with God than you've went. That was what Paul was all about. He, that was his plan. Every time he was around Christians, he wanted to further their faith. He wanted to encourage them to trust God. And all of us, I mean, it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, how long we've walked with God, all of that, how much we know of the Word. Throughout our life, we all have challenges to our faith. We all have either areas of our life, and, and that's another thing. You and I, there are certain areas where we could be trusting God in, but there could be other areas of our life that we're, we're not so trusting of God in. You know, I'll just use this as an example. Some Christians can trust God in this area, but say in the area of finances, sometimes it's harder for Christians to trust God in that area. Or sometimes it's harder for them to, to trust God in the area of family issues, you know, than it is in other areas. So all of us have our areas where we're strong in faith in certain areas, but we're weak and deficient in faith in others. So that's another thing Paul is like, I want to come alongside of you and find out maybe what area of life you struggle in trusting God. And I want to encourage you to start trusting God in that area. Make that weak area of faith a strong area of faith. That's a way to further the faith in his fellow believers. Then, another thing Paul's always conscious about when he gets around other believers is he also wants to further their knowledge of the truth. His aim is to produce, though, a sanctifying knowledge in the people of God. A truth that transforms, because notice what Paul goes on to say. 
I want to further the knowledge of the truth. Don't miss this next phrase. That is in keeping with godliness. See, Paul's like, I'm not interested in teaching a group of Christians more about God's Word just so that they can have more information up in their head. To Paul, that was of no interest at all. That was not part of the plan. To Paul, it was always, when I teach the Word of God, I am going to then challenge those very people, that, including himself and, and me too, I'm going to challenge all of us to apply, apply, apply it. To put it into practice. It's not enough just to further our knowledge of the truth unless it is in keeping with godliness. Unless it's helping us become more like Jesus. Unless it is transforming our lives. That was what Paul was always about. So that's why Paul never taught the Word and never shared the Word of God simply to share it as an end in itself. It was always. Now, how can we take what we've learned tonight and put it in practice into our lives and apply it to our lives so that we can become more Christ-like? That, that was the plan. See? And again, you think about this in the context of Crete. We've already talked about it's a pretty ungodly uh, island. Now, I don't know now. There might be really nice people on the Isle of Crete right now, you know? I don't know. Maybe some of you visited Crete. I don't know. Uh, but at that time, not so much. So that's why it was very important that he emphasized his purpose and hopefully Titus would catch that too so that when Titus began to go around not only pastoring churches, but, you know, leading uh, to establish leadership and all of that in these churches, that he would share these same things with the leadership. And say, guys, every time you're together as a church, as a community of believers, you want to become a compelling Christian community that's attractive and appealing? Then we've got to start trusting God. Because how can we say to others, we have a great God, and He is He's awesome, and He does great things, but we don't trust Him in the little things of life. Paul says, you and I have got to start trusting Him and placing our confidence so that others can see they, they trust this God. They put their lives in this God's hands. He must be amazing. And then, if we're going to be an attractive and appealing Christian community, we can't just learn information about biblical facts and truth. We've got to live it out. It's got to transform our lives. And then, finally, Paul's plan consisted in furthering the hope of eternal life. His aim was always to build a foundation of hope in the people of God. He wanted them to get to a place where they would have this confident expectation of living life, resting in the promises that God had made. Because that's what hope is. Hope, biblical hope, is confident expectation that can rest because it's resting in the promises of God, which is what he goes on to say. In hope of eternal life, when God, which God, who does not lie, promised, even before the ages began. Think about that. Paul's saying, in a sense, in God's mind, God had, had already thought up these things that he was going to promise 
when he created mankind and he said, now they're coming to fruition. Now they're becoming fresh. Now they're becoming real through my preaching. They're becoming evident to God's people through me preaching about it. And the same thing is true today. The promises of God become alive to us when we are taught them, when we, when we uh, hear them, when we study them, and when we read them for ourselves. But let me go back to this whole thing of hope. Paul says, if you and I are going to become a compelling Christian community of believers, we've got to be a hopeful bunch. We, we can't be people who are hopeless and lack confidence and, and have no assurance in our life and, and are very fearful and lack courage and, and all of that. We, we've got to be bold. We've got to be confident. We've got to be courageous. Why? Because we're basing our lives now and our life to come on the promises that God has made. And God doesn't lie. Everything God has ever promised has always been just as He promised it would. And eternal life, let's not forget, this word eternal doesn't just mean a life that starts the day I die or the day Jesus comes back. I, you and I, can begin to enjoy and experience eternal life the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Because it's not just a quantity of life, it is a quality of life. And Paul is saying, you, you and I want to experience a quality of life? Live in hope every day. Because our hope isn't on anything earthly, ultimately. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in the, the promises that God has made to us now, but also in the things that God has promised us for the future. That's where our primary hope lies. Anything that we hope in here on earth, our fulfillment of it is going to be discouraged and dashed and all of that. Because anything earthly never brings about all that it promises. It leaves us wanting. There's just something in it that lacks total fulfillment and satisfaction. But when you and I put our hope in what God has in store for us, then we'll never be disappointed. Then we'll never be disillusioned. Because our hope isn't in something on earth. Our hope is in what is awaiting us one day when we see Jesus and when we enter into our glorified state. And that's the kind of hope, that foundation, that Paul wanted to continue to build into every believer every time he had an opportunity. Wow! No wonder Paul made such an impact for Jesus. Because Paul knew what his purpose was. And Paul gave himself every day wholeheartedly, gladly, willingly, and permanently to his purpose in life. His purpose started by knowing his position before God. I'm your slave, God, and I'm your apostle. Send me wherever you want to. I'm yours. And then his purpose continued because he always had a plan for the people of God. He always knew that every time God gave him an opportunity to get around other believers, he wasn't just going to sit around and talk about the weather, even though there's nothing wrong about that. He was going to be very intentional that when he got around other believers, he was going to seek in some way 
to further their faith, to further their knowledge that would lead to godliness and would further their hope. Let me, in closing tonight, just share these with you and then we'll come back and pick it up there next week. Paul gives a pronouncement to Timothy or to Titus. I'm so used to teaching on Timothy. I'm saying Timothy. Paul gives a pronouncement to Titus in verse 4. We'll look at this next week. To Titus, my genuine son in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then he also gives Titus a priority. Verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set in order the remaining matters and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We'll talk about that the next time that we are together. And I'm so glad that we were together tonight. Thank you all for being here. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for giving us such purpose in our lives. Lord, we are reminded, even by the example of Paul, that when we align our lives with you, our life can have purpose each and every day. That none of us ever have to wake up anytime going, why am I here? <coughs> why am I living? Every day, we have an opportunity to be a servant of God. To be at your disposal, Lord, for whatever you have for us, whatever encounter you have for us, whatever human being you want us to meet or spend time with that day, we are yours. And we are your sent one. Sent out, your messenger, your representative, your ambassador, everywhere we go. Lord, may we be living in such a way that we adorn the doctrine of God in a positive way. That we, by the way we live, bring credit to the teaching of Jesus Christ. That we live in a compelling way. A way that draws people to you, God, and to your word. That they see the difference and the reality that you have made in our life. Such a positive difference. That they want something of what we have. They don't know exactly what that is. But Lord, we whet their appetite by the way we live. Lord, help us to be that as a community of believers here. And help us to be that as individuals. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see you.